Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name is Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Hey. So we are recording this just a little bit before Thanksgiving, and it is time to check in on our prognostications about U of M, MSU, and, of course, how they would fare against OSU. We're going to talk a little bit about Oakland basketball, maybe some Detroit Tigers, and if we're feeling particularly spicy, perhaps we can talk about the Lions as well on this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. So when we recorded the last show, it was right before U of M MSU. And, you know, we talked about Obviously, whoever wins that game has to come out as the favorite, as the as the better team, whatever. However, the real test, as we talked about at the time, was going to be what happened against Ohio State. What did the winner do against Ohio State? Oh, did, yeah, did, did, did not. But, but I think like, to kind of take a step back, when we talked about that game, we, we talked about the game itself exactly how it happened right even better than vegas had it right because we said um we we i mean uh, we were all in an agreement that michigan state was a three-point favorite it was you know going into the game without even knowing what vegas was going to do um now we look at that game and and the thing that we learned about that game though was that michigan state played exactly how we thought but in addition to that, though, they left everything out in the field for that game. And as a result, it really did, I think, impact the rest of the season more for the Spartans than it did the Wolverines, especially going in. Almost unfair that they had to go to uh, West Lafayette to play Purdue the next week after uh, leaving it all on the field game. They recovered, obviously, a decent amount against Maryland, but it was pretty obvious, guys, in the Maryland game, this team definitely had a, a hole that has been figured out, which is basically pass defense. And then you go into yesterday. We'll get into yesterday a little bit more uh, as time goes along. But um, uh, um, but then in the meantime, guys, when I look at Michigan, yeah, they lost that game. But they've really stayed true to their game, which is not gritted out. It's just that swagger, and they've continued to just keep going. And I think that's where, because of that game, that's why things are so different than what we intended it would be after the fact. And I think you hit on the key point there is what, what we learned. Learned a lot more about Michigan State in that game. And, and no knock on Cade McNamara, but he went out and threw for like 340 yards. And he hasn't done that before, and he's probably not going to do it again, right? And that that game was so interesting because you could feel that Michigan was the better team. But, you know, it was a special performance by a guy like Kenneth Walker, who I talked about. Like, he was just set up to be the difference maker, you know, in, in that game. And, you know, probably his Heisman dreams are dashed now, but a really special season for him. Uh, but it was clear that Michigan was the better team on the field. And I think once the dust settled the following week with, you know, Purdue, frankly – it was not as close as the score looked. Purdue blew them out of the out of the water uh, in all phases, uh, and Michigan gritted out a tough win against you know Penn State. It was clear that you know 
Michigan was the better team that and but state won the game and they deserved to win the game. So um that said, you know, I was even a little bit surprised and taken aback at how badly Michigan State was beat yesterday. I mean, that was that that was that looked like, you know, varsity versus a middle school team. Uh and <laughs> you know, it was that was rough. That was rough. And I uh well I'm sure we'll get to Michigan, Ohio State in a minute, but uh, not uh, not a not a not a traditional Michigan State team here uh, that got to the to the nine win mark. Maybe they'll get to ten, um, but that pass defense, whoa, that's rough. And Adam, uh, you're uh, you're on mute there. I I think the one thing that it really that game yesterday was actually a good thing be a supporter of Mel Tucker because I think for the most part you really got the sense of how good of a job from a coaching standpoint that Mel has been able to do to be able to cover up on things like that past defense this year, right? Uh, being able to go out and get Kenneth Walker and, and, and find that guy and, and let him you know, do an absolutely unbelievably incredible job at running back and then to be able to win some of the games in the fashion that they did and and really, in the end, cover up a, a major weakness in that pass defense and at times uh, showing that because they had Walker there, he was covering up for some of the challenges from a passing game standpoint. I think it really kind of speaks to where this team was and how good the coaching job that Mel Tucker and his staff did. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think people are going to have to be patient with Mel Tucker. Uh, I think that Kenneth Walker changed the trajectory of their season, but I think people shouldn't be surprised next year if they struggle to get to, you know, eight wins uh, just with the turnover in town as he recruits his guys, not having a Heisman running back anymore. I think people need to be patient, but I think he's the real deal uh, for that program. And of course, being two and zero against Michigan already uh, doesn't, doesn't hurt in terms of recruiting and building mo- the momentum and all that good stuff. But uh, yikes yesterday was uh, not great. That was really surprising, quite quite frankly. That was Tecmo. Uh, that was Tecmo Super Bowl. Uh, C.J. Stroud it, going thirty-one for thirty-three for three hundred forty yards and six touchdowns in the first half. So. Yeah, it was absolutely Tecmo. Bo Jackson was just bouncing people off him like crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, very very surprising. But again, I think it gets back to everything that you guys have touched on, which is that Michigan was the better team. However, Michigan State happened to play better. It was a great football game, mm-hmm. and hey, they they won. And and like there was no one I talked to, and I'm mostly exposed to Michigan people. There was nobody that I talked to who said that wasn't a good football game. It was a great that, football game. That that they were like, hey, you know, it's just the way it turned out. Well, I mean, and, I, I guess I can use this as a segue to jump into Michigan. You know what? what I found in that game and what I still feel like to be true. And this maybe is different than in years past is that that Michigan team is a very good football team and they are winning in spite of their suspect coaching at times. Michigan gave that game away with some really boneheaded play calls, including putting in a freshman quarterback into the fourth quarter of a game where he'd already fumbled once when you have Dan Marino, uh, who's been playing basically, and is just absolutely shredding Michigan State and just outthinking themselves. And so what you know what I like about this Michigan team, I'll turn it over to you, Adam, here, is they're a lot tougher than Michigan teams of the past who would have wilted. Uh, even at Michigan State, 
or at Penn State. Uh, and they, you know, they may still get the, the, the barn doors blown off here next week, but they seem to have a grittiness and a toughness established through the run game. Um, good defense that has been lacking in the Harbaugh teams of the past. Now, if Harbaugh could just get out of the way, uh, then, then maybe, uh, then maybe we'd be talking. You know, when you're looking at this team, you, uh, I, I think they've, they have shown to be very talented, very resilient. Um, they, they've shown a lot of things, and I think it, the the problem with the job that has been done from a coaching standpoint is there has been a lot of good intangibles from the coaching staff. If it wasn't for the play calling, you'd really be marveled by the job that they're doing. But the problem is, is that those intangibles that they're doing so good with is getting mixed up with the play calling. And as a result, and, and I think, you know, the, I, I take a look at back at like that Wisconsin game where they just go, you know what, we don't care. We're going to pass the ball right down to the time that there's zero, zero, zero on the clock. They came to do that yesterday against Maryland. And I, that is going to have to be the mentality that they have going into next week against Ohio State, where I think personally, I think the, the, the interesting thing about Ohio State is they're playing way better now than they were five weeks ago, right? Five weeks ago, I think Michigan go, uh, wins the game, hangs down without a problem against Ohio State. The problem is you got Stroud, who's starting to get hit his stride, and you've got a defense that is getting better with Ohio State, right? And that, I think, is going to be, I, I think to me, the Michigan defense will be able to neutralize a decent amount or at least do a really nice job of containing the Ohio State offense. But where I think the real challenge is going to be is does the play calling get in front of the talent on offense for Michigan? Because be honest with you, I don't think that Ohio State defense is very good. And with it being at home, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a broken record. I think this is a, a game that Michigan will they on paper should win by about three to seven at home. I think that the betting odds from Vegas will be Ohio State by four or five. I think there will be a lot of money on Ohio State, and it's really going to be up to Jim Harbaugh and his coaching staff to define how this game is. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point. You know, I uh, Michigan has a couple things going for it that State didn't. They got a little bit more talent out on the edges. Uh, you know, even in the defensive backfield, though, I don't think I still think it's gonna be rough. Uh, but they've got that pass rush and Ajabo and and Hutchinson are the real deal. Hutchinson's a top five, top ten pick. Uh, Stroud has not fared well against significant pressure, of which Michigan State could bring none. Uh, but I think, Adam, the key in this game is going to be the first five or so series. And this is where the game just got completely out of hand for Michigan State. And while Michigan may be able to move the ball a little bit better than Michigan State through the air, if Mich- if Ohio State comes out and just scores 14 points in five minutes, I think this game is going to go very similar to the one in, in, in Columbus yesterday. And so for Michigan, it's really about can they get to Stroud early, maybe even give up a big play or two early, if they can get in his face and hit him, knock him down, make him uncomfortable, um, then they'll, then they'll have a shot. But they've got to be able to get the you know get him off the field early, get their offense on the field. To your point, Adam, I you know I actually think in some ways Ohio State was done a little bit of a disservice uh, to themselves and how badly they blew out Michigan State because they're going to get a much more competitive game. And I wonder if their defense is going to be ready for it just because they didn't have to do anything 
of any kind, you know. Mel Tucker took Kenneth Walker off the field after basically the third series. You know, Thorne struggled. Their receiver group is necked up. Like, um, uh, so those are those are the things in Michigan's favor. You know, as far as the money, I think it'll go big to Ohio State because Ohio State should be should be favored by at least a touchdown. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you could bet on, you know, on Michigan in this game. You know, there's just no – I want to believe it's going to be competitive, but I felt that for many, many years. And really they've only been competitive once in one of these games before. So uh, my hopes are not high. Uh, but they do have some things that Michigan State doesn't have uh, to make it a more competitive game. And, and but when I look at this game, I my takeaway though is the um, uh, Michigan in past seasons. You watch the first couple games, and you go, "Oh wow, this this thing's faster and whatever." But that quote unquote speed margin usually gets taken up as they you know get more into the Big Ten season. The speed margin that they've had on the outside, especially on the offense, has been maintained the whole season. And that's that's one. And then secondly, I don't think in the history of Harbaugh going against Ohio State that he has had the defensive line talent and the ability to execute nearly as good as this, right? And that offensive line for Ohio State is not as good as it has been in years past. And that's where I, I think the margin where you're right yeah, yeah, you're right. If they get out to that two touchdown, three touchdown, whatever, yeah, the fat lady singing or whatever else you want to say. But I just don't see that happening. And I, I think that, that there's going to be a, a certain amount of containment of that Ohio State offense where they're not going to get out unless they just, unless Michigan just completely overthinks themselves going into this game. But why wouldn't we think that they would do that? I, I mean, the one You're thing right. I hear over and over again is that, you know, Michigan's winning in spite of Harbaugh. Harbaugh has not overly impressed in his time at Michigan. Right. I mean, he's not. I mean, I don't want to make a, a horrible comparison to, like, the futility of the Lions, which I think is is continued to reach comical, I mean, beyond comical levels. But. I mean, I, I just, again, as kind of a casual fan of all of this, I look at this and go, yeah, Michigan, Harbaugh's Michigan is not going to beat Ohio State. And when they do, then I guess I'm a believer at that point in time. But Yeah, I think Adam you made, makes a good point about the defense. Certainly, Ojabo and Hutchinson are you know the best end combos they've had in a while. But I think from a talent standpoint, this defense is right up there with the 2016 defense that you know, took Ohio State to the brink in Columbus. You know, they had Taco Charlton, they had Chase Winovich, uh, they had Jabril Peppers, you know, and a number of other guys that are playing on Sundays these days. So, I mean, I do think there is um, some difference there. And I do think Adam makes a really valid point in terms of the speed uh, on the offensive side of the ball. That is absolutely something that the Wolverines have not had like this before. Um, you know, uh, Sanders still, Johnson, uh, Edwards, Corum, if he's healthy, I assume he will be next week. They are fast. Uh, and that might actually tire out because, you know, Ohio State's going to have better athletes regardless. But speed is still speed, right? And if they start tiring out uh, the OSU backfield, which isn't, again, it's not great. Uh, Purdue tore them up. Um, you know, it could it could be, uh, could be a much closer game. So after this game, what does this mean for BCS standings? 
let, let's say Michigan wins this game. Where do you, does this give them a legitimate shot? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if Michigan wins this game, they're number three or four. Absolutely. I, I would say hands down because um, Oregon lost. Um, so Oregon's, mm-hmm. you know, they're a two loss team that, you know, frankly, wasn't all that highly thought of anyway. So they're out of the game. Um, mm-hmm. And so and because Ohio State's still carrying that loss from earlier in the year, you know, that makes them a two loss team. So I think it puts Michigan comfortably into the playoff picture, but then they got to, you know, take care of business in Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. now who, who would they face in Indianapolis? I should know this, but I mean, we don't know. Would- it's, it's okay. still very much, yeah. I mean, there's Iowa, there's uh, Wisconsin, and I, I don't remember right. the math okay. exactly, but Purdue might be hanging around there too. So uh, certainly Iowa and Wisconsin are there. There is that the West is to be decided, but I think any team on the outside is beatable for Michigan. I would even oh, argue, sure. I would argue that Michigan, if they win, they could very well be in a position of being number two because I'll tell you what, I've watched Alabama a couple times this year. Certainly the most vulnerable. Alabama team I've walked in quite some time. Um, oh, by the way, no one's beating Georgia because Georgia is a flipping machine, um, both on defense but especially on offense. Um, actually, especially on both sides. Um, but I would not, you know, I mean, Auburn, they'll go up against Auburn next week. Alabama will. That could, that could talk up. That, that game is a talk up at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'll be very curious about how that all shakes out. Uh, but uh, you go you go do the job. You know, the only loss you got on your record is Michigan State on a game that everyone agrees was a really, really well-played game, just like you said, Justin, and Brandon, you said. And that that's not just a couple guys in Michigan talking about. That's a national perception. You go out and, and you beat Ohio State, you put yourself in that position. Well, I think the good thing for Michigan in this particular case is that there aren't a lot of undefeated teams this year. Um, And because that one loss in such a close game could have been a disqualifier in prior years. Um, This year it's not, because really you got Georgia. I mean, Cincinnati's 11-0, but I I mean, a one-loss team, you know, there's going to be one-loss teams in there. So For sure. And I think the the committee is waiting for a reason to to bump Cincinnati down. If Cincinnati plays Georgia, they'll lose by 70. Um, You know, I, I, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm hesitant to speculate on the SEC because who knows, you know, Alabama is vulnerable, but you know what? They can knock off Georgia. They can beat Georgia. Um, I I don't underestimate Alabama. You know, they could also lose to Auburn to Adam's point. So you know, we, and, and I think if what Georgia does lose, it will be to Alabama, whether in the playoff I, or, or otherwise. I just, you know what, that the Alabama team is not nearly as crisp as I remember past Alabama teams. And that's where I, sure. I that, 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 that's why I speculate. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the other situation is more interesting. Michigan loses by a field goal against Colorado State. Where does that put them? Um if your two losses are accidentally play games, um, Cincinnati gets it bumped off. Um, I don't remember what Notre Dame's schedule is down the stretch here. You know that that you know they're um, they're at Stanford next week. Yeah, okay, so they're really. Um, but I, I don't. If you lose and you play really really well, I'm not entirely sure they're out of it 
at that point either. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to win this football game or they're going to lose by two or three touchdowns. I just... Yeah, I think a two-loss team, <clears throat> that's going to be a, a... I mean, obviously, it does depend on what other teams do, but that's going to be a tall order, I think. Ohio State, even historically, and again, Michigan's played them in two, two times in the last 20 years where, you know, it's been very, very, very close. And they've lost, but Ohio State typically is not much of a gray area team. They're going to go out and do what they did to Michigan State, or they're going to all, you know screw up against Tulsa, right? I mean, like, they just – it's a boom-bust situation, and, you know, I think that's that's what's coming for, for Michigan. Fair enough. So we'll know soon enough, or a little bit after Thanksgiving, and that will, I'm sure, be a big topic of conversation uh, on our next – on our next podcast. So we will – Leave the world of college football for now, unless there's anything else you guys want to touch on in the non-Michigan, Michigan State world at all. Yeah, okay. Nope. Fair enough. Um, I guess we can stay in the world of college athletics and talk some Oakland University basketball. We haven't really talked about them at all uh, this season. So, uh, Adam, do you want to get us started there? Yeah, no, I think uh, from my standpoint, when I'm looking at the Oakland Golden Grizzlies, they've gotten off to uh, a very notable start. Uh, their first game against West Virginia, uh, from all accounts, uh, the uh, the officiating helped uh, uh, West Virginia kind of down the stretch. They could have very well won against Bob Huggins' team there. You come back, you beat Oklahoma State, and mind you, it's an Oklahoma State team minus Kate Cunningham, who happens to be playing for the old uh, Detroit Pistons. Uh, but, you know, they 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 were competitive throughout the game. Not a fluke. It, it was a very well-played game. You go up against a Toledo team that, you know, when they have faced MAC teams, for whatever reason, I think that, that they've had a little bit of success, um, Brandon, but that they haven't necessarily uh, done really well against MAC teams over the – and I think a big part of it always is that despite where the MAC teams are, uh, the, 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 the size is always a, a, um, a definitely a tough challenge uh, for the uh, Golden Grizzlies. Um, and obviously they faced the number 14 team in Alabama Friday night, and they weren't going to. But, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, guys, this has been a really solid start to the season. And, by the way, Coach Campy's not surprised. He felt really good about his team coming into the season. Yeah, no, it's uh, I've had the opportunity to watch almost all of the, the Grizzly season to date. I did, uh, I will admit, give up on the Alabama game the other night <clears throat> once it uh, got a little grim. Uh, but this is a very, uh, very exciting team, a very talented team. There's some things I, I will say I really, really like, and then there are some things that are concerning me. Uh, and when I get to the things that are concerning me, I want to say it in the context of what I believe, and I said this at the end of last year, what I believe to be a team – that has the ability to go out and win the conference and make the NCAA tournament this year. And I still believe that. So the things I like is just um, from an athletic, you know, an athletic standpoint, they are far more athletic than they have been in many, many, many years. Um, maybe even dating back to the last time they made the tournament when they had Benson and, you know, and a few other guys. Um, Jalen Moore, um, Jamal Kane, who's we'll talk about, I'm sure, more in a minute, who's fantastic. Uh, you know, Townsend, Parrish, some of the guys off the bench that are getting playing time. 
if uh, you've watched, uh, Blake Lamplin is uh, no longer uh, uh, skin and bones. Uh, he's got some some muscle on him and can play some defense and can shoot shoot the three ball, of course. Um, you know, and they're gritty, they're tough, they rebound really well, they're really active. They were given West Virginia and Oklahoma State fits uh, around the boards, and that has not been something that Campy seems to have traditionally done well, is rebound and rebound like that, and I give Jamal Cain a lot of credit for that. Um, but the things I don't like is the propensity of the high-level players on the team to play a hero ball. Um, I and Jalen Moore and, and Jamal Cain are phenomenal talents, and they could both. Jamal Cain already has um, could play at big, bigger schools and start and, and be contributors and be very good. But you know, to me, the true value of this team is when you know they are moving the ball. Uh, because I gotta say. And all the credit for Coach Campy for this, Trey Townsend and Parrish have taken a big step forward. And, and Trey Townsend is looks phenomenal out there. And I just worry that, you know, the propensity of guys like Moore and Kane to try to take over and dominate games will, will not serve them well down the stretch. And so I'm hoping that, particularly once they can settle into a conference schedule and they're not, you know, going in and playing against, you know, these, you know, you know Big 12 style, you know, talent or, or Alabama, who frankly may be on the outside edges of a one seed conversation this year, um, that, that they'll start to distribute the ball more. So that, that's a little of my pros and cons of what I've seen from the team. But I think no reason to be anything other than excited at this point. You know, it's a, a team full of younger players, too, um, which typically makes us happy, you know, because you think, okay, hey, they're going to play together for a while. Of course, we still have the looming transfer portal issue, which I don't even know what necessarily to do with that. Um, but it's it's a heck of a team. And like you said, a heck of an athletic team. And God, if they play together for a few seasons, they they could really do something special in the conference and make the tournament maybe even win a game. Um, I don't know. What do you see, this, I, the, you know, looking into your crystal ball, I guess, Adam? Well, I, I would say that the, the one name that definitely will not uh, be uh, hanging around any more than one season, at least in my mind, would be Jamal Cain. I mean, Jamal Cain is already viewed as someone that could go to the NBA and be a contributor um, uh, on on the uh, on an NBA roster. Uh, hmm. And um, I and there's been nothing, Brandon, that that we've seen thus far in the season that tell us that that's not the case, that the, the talent is not there and that he would not be a contributor on an NBA roster. Uh, and then when, when, when I think about, uh, you know, the rest of the roster, um, maybe, maybe you, you'd be able to bring up, but I think that, that this team is going to go through uh, Kane most of the season, if not all the season. And that's where I think will be the big difference um, uh, especially as they get into uh, the uh, Horizon League, uh, uh, Horizon Conference schedule, is, is that that's, I think Kane is going to be that, that difference maker um, where, you know, in the past we thought that they were a, uh, a really good potential to play well in the conference, where I think Kane's the, the, the difference maker that will probably really establish OU as the team in this conference, not only in the regular season, but going into the tournament. So. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think he's, Kane's going to give the conference fits, absolute fits this year. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out uh, is that, you know, Mich uh, Oakland has, you know, took West Virginia to the edge, you know, had them on the ropes at times in the first half. 
uh, beat Oklahoma State, blew out Toledo, which was a phenomenal, phenomenal game for them, uh, and did it all with Jalen Moore shooting 10% from the field from three. And Jalen Moore played terrible, I guess, what, I guess, against West Virginia. Maybe one of the worst games he's played as a Golden Grizzly, and they were still competitive. And, and frankly, he, he he turned it on late against Oklahoma State, but Jamal uh, Jalen Moore has not been himself, uh, at least up to where he was last year. And so I look for him to pick that back up and, and how dangerous will it make them. I'm very excited for the state game, uh, the traditional Michigan State game they play in mid-December. Michigan State, of course, will have more talent. Of course, they will be the favorites, but you know Michigan's taken them to the brink with greater talent disparities in the past. And so I'm very excited for that game and, and frankly, even for the rest of their non-conference schedule. They've gotten through the teeth of their non-conference schedule, which was really, uh, you know, West Virginia and Alabama. You know, West Virginia was a, a three seed last year. Alabama was a two. Um, you know, they have some very, very winnable non-conference games. And so this could be a year where they push 20 wins, which would be great. Absolutely. Um, I guess the one thing, though, it does make me think of, you know, speaking with Kane, and maybe, again, this is – this is the era of college basketball at this point is you've just got to grab a guy who's definitely a one-year guy and that's going to be how you're going to make the tournament and the the development side of it be damned and 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 that's a little excessive but but you get my point is you know what you go out and you grab people and you see what happens and yeah that doesn't take take you away from recruiting but Maybe that is how this works because he is the type of talent who can control games, has controlled games already in this very, very short season. Um, and so maybe that's just what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think that's that's true, especially for a mid-major team. But I think the, the great thing about the Kane situation in particular was – the work that Campy has done prior to this year. Uh, you know, Jamal Kane's from Pontiac, and I listened to the post-game interview uh, that Jamal Kane did after they beat Toledo. And really what Jamal Kane said is that Coach Campy has been telling him he's been wanting him to play at OU since he was recruited out of high school, and that matters. True. That a guy has been trying to recruit you for four or five years, and your family's from the area, and when Marquette blew up and decided to go and start over and Kane got that extra year eligibility, why did he come back here? Because there was a coach that believed in him and has been saying the same thing to him for four or five years. So credit for Campy for putting in the work uh, to, to recruit guys locally that have the talent to go elsewhere because uh, it pays dividends. And I think, you know, that's really going to be the key for them. And he's done it with, you know, with others in the past too. Uh, where he's really made the Kendrick Nunn uh, being the other one who's of course, you know, uh, when not injured, is a, a, an absolute contributor, you know, on on uh, NBA teams. So, no, oh, great point. So, um, well, they've got uh, they've got the Vermont. Does anybody want to guess what Vermont's the maple um, syrups? They are not the maple syrups. Mm. Um, they so they close. are the catamounts. I, I don't know what that means. I'll I'll put the fact checking department I, on that. I don't even want to venture to guess. By the way, I don't think it would be safe for any of us. So, <laughs> so they've got them uh, coming up on Monday, and then uh, they'll be off for Thanksgiving, and then continue on with the rest of their uh, 
non-conference schedule. But hey, two wins early on in non-conference is good because, again, typically Campy stacks that early non-conference with some really good teams, which granted there were here, but uh, picking up a couple early wins is very, very nice. Question for you, Adam, uh, since you're typically following the you know roster pretty closely, uh, is Zion Young been hurt or is he just fallen out of the rotation? Uh, we're talking about a guy who is, you know, very much in the mix last year. At times, one of the few bright spots as they were struggling at different points in the season. And uh, I forgot he was on the team until I saw him trot out in garbage time against Alabama the other night. So He must be uh, related to Zion Williamson and his approach with playing time. But uh, no, all jokes aside, um, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I you know, and I, I admit I, I appreciate the comment, uh, compliment, but uh, – um, just based on life in general, I have not been able to kind of sink my teeth into something like that. But my, my guess is, is that, I mean, with my, uh, what, 25 years of, of following Coach Campy uh, uh, rosters, my guess is going to be Zion Young has not put in the time, uh, has not practiced very well, and is probably in the Coach Campy doghouse. Uh, and uh, probably just, you know, in, in, in a situation where he is not foul through with the commitment uh, from a coach camping perspective, uh, that 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 would be my guess. Uh, and um, uh, I think the other thing, too, is that if you really kind of think about it, I mean, when you look at this roster uh, and the way that coach Campy likes to play, I don't necessarily agree with it, but they're usually, they don't go very deep. Uh, he's very, very selective about who he gives that playing time to. And Guy and Young probably just simply hasn't, you know, cut the mustard. That'd be my guess. For sure. So I was also, uh, just for fun, uh, looking up uh, Daniel Oladapo as we were talking about uh, Transfer Portal over at Pitt. And uh, he's not uh, he's not doing all that great. He's not uh, playing the kind of minutes he was playing at Oakland, interestingly. Uh, huh. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, that was one where we said it at the time, like, Kane versus Oladapo, that's not even close. Like, Oladapo is a good good conference player in the Horizon League. You know, Kane was a, you know, 11, 10, 11, and 6 guy, you know, for Marquette. So, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And um, catamount, uh, the definition is any of various wild cats, such as cougar or lynx. So there you Get go. Get a lot of cougars up in Vermont? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe they'll probably keep their population so low. Feeding the cougars. <laughs> Live free or die among <laughs> cougars. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a movie, Die Among Cougars. Dances with Wolf. No, okay, never mind. With that said, uh, I will pick us back up off of the derailed train that I, uh, the derailed train that I, uh, I steered us off the train tracks with or something along those lines. And um, I don't even know where to go next after this, to be honest with you. Because T- tigers, me, tigers will be a very interesting subject. That I think we need to talk about. So. Oh, I do, I do think we need to talk about them. But I, I just, I really have this urge to make fun of the lions. But I, I suppose that's just really. I'm easy. certainly prepared for that. It's just go ahead. Then. Um, I mean, it's it's. I think really the only thing you can say is it's just it's so farcical. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know if either of you have watched Ted Lasso, but, um, you know, the, the, the opening premise of the show is that, uh, uh, a woman who owns the, uh, a, a Premier League team, um, you know, her husband leaves her, cheats on her with a younger woman, and it's his favorite football, as in soccer team. And so when she takes over ownership, her plan is to ruin it so to, as to get back at him for doing this. So she hires this Ted Lasso, who's kind of a Yahoo sort of guy, and because he knows nothing about obviously soccer and and i'm just wondering is there somebody behind the scenes with the lions who's getting back at somebody for something they did 80 years ago still or like what what what's going on here what's 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 going on here but anyway get to see tim boyle so that's exciting you know but i think the narrative at least that we had on this show was that the organization that uh, the, the team between Patricia and Quinn didn't know what they were doing, right? I mean, that that's the narrative that we had on this show, uh, for sure. you know, for, for quite some time. Um, and I think, though, I, I think maybe we didn't even, in that narrative, do a justice showing how bad it was based on just the player selection uh, with a focus on trying to win games in the NFC East in the 80s, right? So now... <laughs> You know, and, and now I mean we're going down this path where, uh, you know, you're you're uh, between uh, the the front office, you know, new front office along with Dan Campbell. Uh, you know, I mean they they literally start with absolutely nothing, right? I mean absolutely nothing. And mind you, I mean it's a little concerning to me the commitment that they made to Jared Goff. Um, especially, I have no idea what's going on with Jared Goff. I, you know, in between his years, I have no idea what's happened. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, we've already started off this with this regime with an indictment of their commitment to him. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, um, again, it's get through the season, which is what we've done now for many years as Lions fans. And we kind of see how this all shakes out because there's no getting rid of this front office at this point. You've made a commitment contractually, uh, and we're just going to have to see what they can and can't do. But above anything else, try to figure out what they're going to do with this quarterback situation. And oh, by the way, need to get the wider receivers to throw to as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think any attack on their record, though, 0 and 8 is impressive. Uh, 0 8 and 1, excuse me. Uh, is impressive. I think any attack on the roster is is unfair. Um, and we talked about the lack of talent. We talked about how all god awful Patricia and Quinn are. I will continue to assert that Dan Campbell it's it's an absolute farce. He has no idea what he's doing, uh, and he, he's just he could be the worst coach in the NFL right now. I I mean the comedy of errors. You know, you, you talk about, you know, the one saving grace was that he hired a good staff. Okay, so he just relieved his offensive coordinator, who is co- has been a head coach for 50 games in the NFL and has forgotten more than Dan Campbell knows about football. You just relieved him and didn't win. Uh, so now you don't have an offensive coordinator, right? You, Jared Goff is hurt, uh, and you as the manager, along with Brad Holmes on the roster, don't have a backup quarterback that you're comfortable playing over a hurt quarterback who is like four for nine. It's it, it's just a joke. Like it's just a joke. Like get out there and bite some kneecaps, man. Do it personally because you're the only one that can. 
because you well, have no clue what you're doing. Well, that that's the part here, because I think, Adam, you brought up a very fair point, because we really can't criticize the current Lions administration for the faults of the past few years, and it does take at least a couple of years to rebuild a football roster. Sure. That, that's completely fair. That really and truly is. But this is where I, I scratch my head, Brandon, is is exactly what you're saying, is why is David Blau not playing? Like, what? why was he even on the roster at this point? Um, and, and, and it's other things like that. Like, yeah, the offensive coordinator nine, eight games into the season? Yeah, come on. Come on. that That's terrible. That's knee jerky. There was no reason to do that. I mean, it, it, we're, not, we're not talking about you're having a, a, a philosophical difference and you're headed into the stretch to see if you make the playoffs and you really want to stick with this strategy and this guy is saying, no, I want to go this other way. This is an O for a team. I mean, it, it, you gotta at least let it play out, which the Lions do need to do. In all fairness, they do need to let things play out. But, but even looking at the kicker situation, I mean, come on, they tried out three kickers in camp, grabbed a fourth kicker who's done worse than the other three they had in camp. I mean, for the love of God, and maybe that's just how it works out sometimes. And obviously, then he got hurt and it went way worse. But. How do they keep doing that? How? Like, you almost have to try to be that bad. I think the interesting thing about the Lions is, again, they've never got – I mean, I think a lot of franchises have just kind of run into decent, uh, um, competent coaching from time to time. But, you know, in general, I mean, you probably – within a three-year point, you see about a 90% turnover in in coaches and and front offices – uh, and, and usually you have that 10% that just continues to hang out, whether it be Mike Tomlin, uh, Belichick, uh, uh, Pete Carroll, uh, and, uh, um, uh, you know, the New Orleans uh, staff and whatever. And they, yeah, but then that kind of that, I mean, you, you see turnover all over the place because there is no magic bullet when it comes to these front offices. It, to me, I just think it comes down to luck. And obviously the Lions are absolutely terrible in terms of their, uh, you know, overall uh, selection of, of things, right? And, um, I, you know, again, I just think it's it, it, uh, it just, you know, continue to churn until you're able to figure it out. And I know that's not the most eloquent way of talking about it, but uh, certainly it's how I feel. So, But we have Tim Boyle. Let me tell you some things about Tim Boyle. Um. Tim Boyle, you know, oftentimes, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go, let's go, let's go into the past. Let's talk the past. Oftentimes, backup quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, they, they have prolific college careers, but they lack Mm -hmm. the size, the athletic ability, the arm strength, what have you to make it to the next level. So you're stuck with guys that, you know, Dan Orlovsky's, if you will. Um, Tim Boyle, let me talk about someone who can underachieve at all levels. Uh, so at UConn, in his three seasons, he had one touchdown and 13 interceptions. For his career, after transferring to an FCS team, he had 55% completion percentage and 12 touchdowns and 26 interceptions. That's after finishing his senior year at an FCS school. So when you want to talk about the talent that's going to hit the field uh, momentarily, look out. Look out. 
No, mind you, the last time we had a breakdown of stack like that from Brandon, it was a kill Badoo, by the way. So I want to be very sorry. Think that back. That's one thing I have to kind of make sure we understand when we hear the the stat breakdown. That's what we heard, how terrible Akil Badu was, and now all of a sudden we're all running around. By the way, that doesn't mean that I think we're going to run around Tim Boyle jerseys, but just saying, just saying. <laughs> remember, I mean, it was 10 minutes. Oh, I, I absolutely remember ranting about Akil Badu's uh, stats. Um, let me, let me, I'm going to just say one name, Dan Campbell or A.J. Hinch. Hmm. hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who's uh, judging the talent? That's an extremely good point. An extremely good point. Um. Yeah. The I, problem with the kid would... is no one had seen it play. I've, I've we've seen Tim Boyle play. You had to you have to catch it with that's the bunny ears to catch the FCS teams. With it. He's he's been on tape. Fifty-five percent completion percentage. So I have my hope he throws for three hundred yards. It'll be great. I was oh, going to say, Adam, uh, you know, you did say that you don't think that we're going to be running around wearing Tim Boyle jerseys. I'm not very sure he's going to be running around wearing a Tim Boyle jersey. He may try to take his jersey <laughs> off during the game so that Miles Garrett's not chasing him anymore. Right. He's going to be hiding underneath the bench on the sidelines. <laughs> Anyway, we'll see what happens. He had negative we'll 162 rushing yards in his college career. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of knees to take. <laughs> anyway. All right. We got that out of my system. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll stop making fun of the Lions now. We will talk about A.J. Hinch and the Tigers. A.J. Hinch, who was seen having uh, brunch at a trendy uh, Houston um, Houston restaurant with Carlos Correa, couple days ago by the way um really terrific signing in eduardo rodriguez however um i'm super excited by that one and i think um avila did it in a very very smart way um in not not only giving him you know the cash uh but an opt-out after season two and i think that makes it one super attractive for rodriguez who's still a young guy uh, could still get one of those mega contracts, and it gives the Tigers some potential flexibility in two years, too, if he does decide to do that. So unless he completely falls on his face, it's going to be a good contract for the Tigers, even if it's just two years. So, Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, Rodriguez will be going from a ballpark that is absolutely not pitcher-friendly to a extremely ballpark friendly, uh, pit, you know, pit, pitching friendly um, um, uh, type of setup, and in addition to that, um, if you believe metrics and and all the um, things that you know you can read into it, um, while I'm not going to tell you that the Tigers are the best uh, fielding defensive team in the uh, major leagues, I will tell you that they're definitely from a metric standpoint considerably better than the Red Sox at this point, which um, probably is not surprising when you kind of take a look at their roster. Uh, so for Rodriguez, great, you know, great to go that. I'm a little concerned for a guy that basically goes out and, you know, you spend quite a bit of money on a guy that uh, uh, for the most part pitches five innings and, and it's kind of done. But I believe the takeaway on the Tigers is that he has the ability 
to do more, and it was probably more of the coaching staff with um, uh, with the Red Sox that was keeping him from being more of a a workhorse than that. So, um, you know, and I, I especially when you consider the money that is going out uh, for some of these pitchers, um, I'm fine with that. Um, I absolutely am completely indifferent on Carlos Correa. I know a lot of people are pro having him here. I look at the stack. I look at him. I don't really think he's a big difference maker, personally speaking. But um, especially on this team where we're at. Um, but so far, uh, and the catcher uh, um, that we've gone ahead and picked up from uh, Cincinnati is a really, really good pick up, uh, especially, again, considering the money uh, that you're giving uh, him. But his background with uh, uh, pitching staff and what he'll be able to do for us was spot on. Uh, and oh. I give a deal of credit there, too. Yeah, Tucker Brownhart, a very, very good pickup. With Eduardo Rodriguez, um, I mean, he threw 200 innings in 2019. Um, obviously, he had the COVID scare in 2020. There were some heart problems that came along with that. I'm sure the Tigers don't sign him unless he's got a clean bill of health. Um, we're not talking like this is the Lions or something. And it's, you know, I, it's one of the two arms they needed to pick up in the offseason who can go out and give them quality innings every fifth day. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, Super excited for that. Uh, and Barnhart, terrific pickup. Exactly what they were looking for at catcher. Um, I mean, granted, theoretically, if you can get, you know, uh, you know, a, a Molina who plays for 20 years, great. But you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, to, to go out and grab a guy of his caliber, two-time gold glove winner, and, and just a guy who everybody likes in the clubhouse, that's... That's a very, very good move. As for shortstop, I'm not as sold on Correa either, but Brandon and I were talking about this separately the other day. Tigers may have to go out and overspend for a shortstop in order to get that top tier. What are your thoughts, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, I think I I would, and I'm, you know, I could live live without Correa Correa too. Uh, I I mean, to me, the the perfect comparison and example is Magli Ardonios. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, like was Maggie Ardonia's a difference maker prior to signing him on paper. I mean, it could have gone either way, and I would say the same for Correa. I think it depends on the pieces that come together around the team and that came around Ardonia's. Right? We overpaid for Maglio. He was coming off a nasty knee injury. Like, wasn't a great defender. You know, Correa is younger than Mags was. Um, you know, so I think you know, is he worth the three hundred million? I, I don't know. You know, and and would I be if they went after and they got Seager? Would I be okay with that? Was they got story? Would I be okay with that? Yeah, but I think the point stays the same: is you're going to have to pay more for a guy than you would normally like to, who may not be, you know, as much of a difference maker as the price tag tag suggests, in order to take the next next step forward and hope that the team, you know, coalesces around, you know, you know, you know the Barnhart and and whatever you know splash they make a short or elsewhere, like, and hope the rest of the team can come around and to make the best possible use of the money. But there's just there's no way they're going to get that guy unless it's Riley, you know, unless it's green or Torkelson, right? Like that, that's their opportunity to have that guy. Uh, they're not going to go and sign that guy or trade for that guy. Yeah, very true. I know the Tigers have been linked to Marcus Semien. There was an article yesterday that came out, um, but I haven't really seen much else on uh, the shortstop front. 
So we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I think they absolutely have to they have to go out and grab a shortstop. And um, should also it's also worth bringing up. Speaking of shortstop, Tigers did officially part ways with Nico Goodrum. Um, they uh, DFA'd him, and he elected free agency. Um, they did also send down a couple other players, uh, Jacob Robson and um, uh, Nivaldo Rodriguez, who they picked up uh, off waivers last year, in order to protect two players for the Rule 5. Um, Angel de Jesus, who is another one of those young pitchers who has just risen through the ranks very, very quickly with the Tigers, um, had been a low A-ball guy. COVID happens, and then last year he pitches in double and triple A and continues to pitch very, very well past what was expected. And then the other person they protected was Cody Clements, who I really thought was right on that bubble of whether or not they were going to protect him. Um, He added outfield to his repertoire last year uh, just to give him a little bit more flexibility. Average, never been particularly strong, but very solid power bat. And so interesting to see that they think he has a shot as well uh, going into next season. And they let the spot open. They may grab a, a Rule 5 person as well. So, I, I, I think the other comment to make uh, on this team is the, the move they didn't make, which was they did not sign Justin Verlander. Um, I thought it was interesting with the backlash, uh, the reported backlash of the uh, uh, clubhouse from the Astros that he went back and signed with them uh, and then included the uh, um, uh, supposedly reportedly rejecting a, a, a same dollar offer from uh, the uh, New York Yankees. But um, to me, I think they dodged the bullet there. Um, I definitely like it. I mean, I think, you know, the talk was they could bring in Rodriguez and Verlander at the same time. Uh, but I think for this particular squad, um, I I like the fact that they were not bringing back Justin Verlander, especially at the $25 million. We're just, you're not really sure what exactly you're bringing back uh, um, with someone that just got off of Tom and John. Uh, and especially, too, if you're wanting something who's a bit of a leader who spent no time in the clubhouse down in uh, Houston uh, after getting injured last year, I, I don't want any part of Justin Verlander at that point. So, Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the Astros calculus was simple, which was, you know, do, do we win the World Series if we have Justin Verlander? And I think their answer was, we're closer. And so... That's, that's why they signed him, you know, and, and frankly, some of the guys in that clubhouse, including Correa, may not be back. And so some of those issues may dissipate. Uh, as far as the Tigers signing him, not signing him, like, I never thought that that was even remotely possible. Um, I, yeah, and it, maybe in two years, you know, depending on how long he pitches, you know, I had just, I saw him landing either with Houston or the Yankees or, you know, somebody. Uh, the Tigers just aren't quite there yet. And, and once it became clear that Verlander, particularly in his um, his showcase or whatever you want to call it, that he was throwing very, very well, that he was going to get a sizable contract. Like if it was a situation where everybody was like, uh, I don't know, two years, Tommy John, and he was going to only make 10 mil or something. Okay, then maybe the Tigers sign him 25. Absolutely not. No way, no how. Um, yeah, that that's just... 
I, I think it's interesting that you guys did not think there was much of a possibility where I felt like reading even the, the, the people that were on the fringes of the media that followed the team thought it was almost like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be coming back. So uh, good for you guys uh, having a, a better grasp on what the uh, realities were versus the uh, suggested possibilities. So. Well, I don't know. I mean, did he paint visits so. at all? Did he talk to, uh, I mean, I just, it made sense, I guess. He, I mean, he has been always said nice things about the Tigers in the paper. He has suggested that I, I just, yeah, I guess uh, whatever evidence they had, they never revealed to the public. So, right. And then it was totally substantiated right. by every single thing that happened that Justin Verlander did this offseason. Totally just absolutely destroyed the idea that it was a foregone conclusion. Didn't talk to us. I don't even know if the Tigers were down or his workout. Like they were, they they did attend his workout, so that is the one thing, uh, which which why not? I mean, you know, might as well. There's no harm in doing that. Um, but will Justin Verlander be a Tiger again one day? It's possible. It is possible. At the end of his career, he may be like, you know, I want to retire with this team. I got a couple of years left. This team's close to a World. Let's say the Tigers get back to close to World Series, and they want to bring in a veteran arm. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe not. Who knows? But yeah, now is definitely not the time. Um, one other thing I wanted to uh, gripe about is yet another former Tiger pitcher, one of Cy Young and Robbie Ray. Um, that, I, it really hurt when Tigers traded Robbie Ray. Um, really, really disliked that trade. And I don't even remember who we got for him, but it was not a good trade. Even at the time, I didn't like it. Um, it is what it is. Can't uh, can't change that now. Was that the Doug Fisher trade? I thought that guy heard someone say. It was right around that point in time. It might have been. If that's the case, okay, Fisher pitched well for the Tigers, and I would I would withdraw my my complaint. But I'll. It was a three team deal. I remember that. I thought it was with the Braves. Yeah. So I'll have the fact check department. Uh, check that Shane, one out as well. Shane Green. Mm. And then Fisker went to Washington. So, I don't know. You're right. It wasn't a good one. That guy is, that arm is explosive. It is exciting and explosive. So. It really is. But, can't change that now. Um, so yeah, and we'll see what uh, what's coming up. Obviously, you've got winter meetings, Rule 5 draft coming up for the major leagues. That's assuming we don't have a work stoppage, and that's really the next big key. Like the bargaining agreement ends in about two weeks-ish. Um, I don't even know if I want to even begin to speculate what's going to happen there, but um, I'm not feeling overly optimistic. I'll just leave it at that. Um, with that said, anything else we wanted to touch on today? I'm I'm good. I mean, the only comment I would make is just to, not to open up a big bag of worms here, but a can of worms, sorry. Um, it really, Brandon, my takeaway with the Pistons is that we have a bunch of second year players that have kind of hit, hit a wall. Um, and I think the, the off-season was not a good setup between some of the players playing with the Olympic team and the and it really being a short off-season. Um, and, uh, I mean, I just, we're 
kind of get into that on another show in a longer form, but I just thought I'd kind of bring that up. Uh, real yeah, quickly. they got they got kind of like roster soup going, where there's just kind of all these guys that are chewing up minutes, and it's not clear, you know, who who's stepping forward and who's not. You know, teams are really keying in on Jeremy Grant. He is struggling uh, with the added attention. Uh, you know, you know, Cade started the year hurt. You know, it's it's just, I think. You know, as a, as a fan watching the rebuild, you know, they're going to have a lottery pick next year. They obviously need to do well with that. But, uh, you know, what I'll be looking for, very similar to the Tigers, is when they're finally ready to sign the E-Rod, when they're finally ready to, you know, pick up the catcher, is they got to start to clear the the roster confusion a little bit next year. Um, because, you know, just having, you know, it's one thing to have a couple of reclamation projects. It's another thing to have a roster full. And, and that's kind of where they are, right? And... Uh, it's just messy, and you know it, it eats into minutes and playing time and, and people's roles. And I think that's not helping Bay or Stewart either. Uh, just this constant churn and rotation of you know bench level talent, you know, and the the Jacksons, Diallos, Lyles, you know, they're just everywhere. There's just these guys that are just coming in and out of the game everywhere. So, uh, and I, I can't believe I'm not saying this out loud, but they miss Mason Plumley. Um. They miss his consistency on the boards and on defense. You know, Olenek is a good, is a really good scorer, but I think to your point, Adam, you know, Stewart and, and some of those guys just aren't, you know, they're, they're kind of hitting the wall. And so, you know, when you're not getting, those guys kind of aren't stepping up to replace some of those minutes is when you see a team really struggling. So, Is this to be expected, though, given the turmoil since Weaver took over? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the roster, I don't think you'd expect anything but this. You know, maybe best-case scenario, you know, Cade and Sadiq Bay or whatever carry them to a 500 record right now rather than a 4-10 and record. You know, maybe they're 7-7. and Right. Yeah. But... So we'll just keep an eye on that. And then uh, Red Wings, I continue to be really impressed with the draft picks that uh, Steve Eiserman has made. Uh, Lucas Raymond continues his point per game pace, uh, fresh out of, uh, you know, fresh off being drafted this year. Uh, Moritz Sider, one of the best um, statistical defensemen so far this year in the NHL. Um, Wings are fourth place in the Atlantic Division, under 500, mind you, but that's that's all right. Um, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting to see though, and I think some good things are in, uh, in are, are brewing in hockey land once again. So we're hockey. Goaltending play right. is leveled off a little, not, you know, mm-hmm. getting a little bit better goaltending, you know? So it's exciting. They're fun to watch. And uh, it feels like a, you know, 500 ish record, maybe a little better is within reach, which is a big step forward for them. It's exciting. It really is. Yeah. All right. With that said, uh, any final thoughts before we part? All right. Well, next time around, we'll definitely have more college football to talk about quite a bit more. I'm sure we'll cover Oakland again. Um, we'll see if the Tigers, and really probably baseball is going to be more on the collective bargaining agreement. There will be changes to the rules. Um, we probably will see the DH in both leagues um, officially happen. Um, and a whole variety of other things along those lines. And uh, we'll see if the Lions have maybe even won a game yet. With that said, for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium, and for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee, and we'll see you all next time.